Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I usually start the show with some sort of plea to donate money or to follow me on Facebook or to please call in with your story. While I'm still probably going to do those things in the future, I wanted to use this space on the show to tell you how excited I am that my pet project, Cryptid Crate, is less than one week from launching. On the morning of April 18th, you will be able to subscribe to the first and only monthly box subscription for paranormal and cryptozoological fans. I'm thrilled for a number of reasons, but the two most important are that I get to share artwork and goods created by wonderful creators across the country, in addition to providing some really cool items to you, the consumer and fan. So if you're interested, head over to cryptidcrate.com and sign up for further updates, and most importantly, a discount on your first box. And if you have an item you think would go great in a crate, shoot me an email at cryptidcrate at gmail.com. I'm always looking. Alright, I'll contain my excitement just long enough to begin the show. Anyone that's listened to more than a few episodes of this show will quickly realize I reference the road quite often. It's not due to any obsession or fascination, nothing like that, though I do have a soft spot for travel. No, it's much more simple than that. You see, in order to have an encounter with a strange creature or being, you need a certain set of elements. You need a witness. Without a witness, nothing can be seen nor reported. You also need a subject. A monster, if you will. So when you combine these two necessities, you quickly realize you have narrowed down the possible location something like this can even happen. Assuming said creature is a flesh-and-blood animal, that entity needs the three necessities. Food, water, and shelter. So, chances are good that you won't see it in a Burger King parking lot or in a suburban backyard. You're going to see it where population meets habitat, and the road is just such a place. A rogue can carve its way through the gnarliest of lands, bringing with it countless numbers of people. Exposing these swatches of darkened forest and stretches of desolate desert to watchful eyes, if only for a fleeting moment. So it's no surprise that a large percentage of these stories I receive are delivered from the road. Our first call of the evening seems to be one of these perfect moments. Time just right for the cruiser and the creature to convene in a single fateful moment. 
This is Kevin's Encounter. Hi, Derek. Uh, my name is Kevin. Um, I live in Vermont. It was 2016 uh, when I had my encounter with a, a weird animal that I really have no explanation for. My wife and I had just moved into a house that we were renting at the time in Chittenden, Vermont. I grew up just down the road from there, the next town over in Pittsburgh. Uh, most of my family lives in Chittenden, so I know I know the roads, I know the woods. Uh, I've been hunting since I was a kid, and I have no explanation for what I saw. It was December, I want to say 13th or 14th, somewhere in that neighborhood. I was, uh, weirdly enough, I was playing uh, I was playing video games with one of my friends online, and my headset died. So I decided I was going to go into Rutland, which is the next town that actually has, like, stores and stuff in it. Uh, there's a Walmart there, so I figured... You know, I'll run into Walmart before they close. It was like 9.30 when I left my house. So I figured I'll run in, I'll grab a headset, I'll come back home, and I'll play for a bit longer. I was on my way in, and I took the turn that I, I, I take. I drive this road every day uh, when I was working in Rutland. I drove that road every day to work. I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of turned onto there and started going. There's kind of a like a long, sloping left-hand curve in the road, not necessarily a turn, but like a curve in the road. And being December in Vermont, it's been dark since 3 o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much. As I come around the corner, my headlights hit this animal in the road that, uh, I, again, I have no explanation for what it was. It was, uh, it was huge. Uh, it was down on all fours. The length of it from the tip of its snout, I guess you'd call it, to its uh, end of its like rear end kind of area, it took up the entire uh, lane that I was in. Um, so the, this is the big animal. It stood about... I'd say maybe three and a half to four feet at the shoulders, uh, kind of like a medium to dark gray color fur. It was built like a, it was built like a hyena, I would say. It had a real, real big head, had a, a hump at the shoulders, kind of like what a hyena has. And as it went back from the back to the back legs, it sloped down slightly. The, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> the rear legs were definitely dog-like uh the front legs were even dog-like um the front legs didn't have paws on them they were um they were closer to hands not like human hands but almost like like raccoon paws you know you could tell they, they kind of look like hands but they're some kind of paws but they look like they could grip and stuff the eyes when my headlights hit it were like an amber yellow color you can definitely tell them not like a lot of the not like a lot of the stories you hear with like big slaughter dogmen where people think, oh yeah, the eyes glowed. No, there was, it was eye shine is what it was. Um, like I said, I've been hunting since I was six years old, so I know the difference between something glowing and eye shine. I didn't see the teeth, um, but like I said, the head was, was hyena-like, but the snout was a bit longer than it would be on a hyena. The ears were kind of like pinned back, you know, like, like when you see a dog that gets really, really angry and it lays its ears back. The ears were almost German Shepherd-like, where they came to a point, but it wasn't a real sharp point like a Doberman's. Uh, again, this thing was enormous. I, I usually carry a handgun with me when I go outside after dark just for personal protection. Uh, due to the area that we lived in, there was a lot of coyotes, and you'd get bears in the summer and spring and fall, uh, not so much in the winter because they hibernate. 
but I, I always have my, uh, it, at the time I had a 40 caliber uh, Glock with me. It was in my glove box. I didn't take a shot at it because I honestly thought that if I were to have stepped out of my vehicle and given this thing a chance to come near me, I wouldn't be making this phone call right now. I don't scare easily. <laughs> uh, I've, I've seen a lot of really weird stuff, but this thing, it shook me up pretty bad. Uh, even driving back through there at night, I kind of get, I get real tense. I've had nightmares about this thing ever since I saw it. And uh, every time I talk about it, it makes me nervous. Like, I, I don't know, but for some reason, it just it makes me really nervous to even, uh, like, think about this thing. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't believe I saw a tail on this on this animal. Not that that really would have made it any less scary or whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I just figured I'd call and see if maybe you could... Uh, Maybe you could use this story on your show um, and also just to try to get it off my chest. I've only talked to a couple of people about it. My wife knows about it. She was obviously knows because I was very shaken up when I came home and I told her about everything. Um, I told uh, my aunt who lives just up the road from where we used to live in Chittenden. Um, and she's actually seen this thing too on her back lawn. She didn't get a, as close a look at it as I did, but she definitely had seen it. Love the show. Uh, keep up the good work. I, I did, discovered you by listening to uh, Into the Parade, uh, and since then I've gone back and listened to all the old episodes, and you've uh, you've jumped into the top two of podcasts that I look forward to to download. I, I check every day to see when it's coming out because I've, uh, I've only been listening for a little bit, but uh, just wanted to call and uh, share my story. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Of the hundreds of calls I've received over the past year, this one nears the top in spookiness. As I listened to the call over and over, several logical explanations filled my head. It could possibly be a strange-looking moose, a very large dog or a mangy bear, or even an escaped hyena. But as I listened to the descriptions Kevin gave, I began to question those theories. None explained the hands. None explained the size and none explained the fact that Kevin claims to be an experienced outdoorsman, yet he was unable to identify the creature. So that got me thinking of paranormal explanations, and two stories came to mind. The first being the Dogman. I know I've spoke of the Dogman in past episodes, but for those unfamiliar, the Dogman is a 7 to 8 foot tall hair covered creature that's said to stand upright and resemble the typical Hollywood werewolf. Although it's usually reported to be upright, there have been many reports of the beast moving on all fours as well. There are a few hotspots for these supposed creatures, Wisconsin and Michigan being the most popular. Of course, with a case like this, I'm prone to do a little research. Off the top of my head, I could not recall a single dogman sighting in the state of Vermont, and as it turns out, I was mostly correct. I was only able to find one reported sighting of the creature, made by a pair of women picnicking in the state. So, this brings me to my other theory. The Shunka wore a kin. The animal is the Shunka Warakin. Uh, shunka means dog, um, and Warakin means uh, something that you carry off in your mouth. Dogs were disappearing from the village. They would hear nothing, they would be silent. 
but the dogs began to disappear one by one. They wondered perhaps if it was an enemy of some kind who was coming in to test them, uh, taking the dogs to see if they could actually make a raid on the, on the village. So one night, uh, the young men got together and they hid around where the village was, took cover, and in the middle of the night, a creature came into the camp and uh, began to seize on the dogs. They describe it as something they had never seen before. They were very familiar with wolves, coyotes, things like that, but this was a strange animal. When they saw it, they attacked it. They had horses there. They shot it, but it wouldn't die. It began to run away. They chased it on horseback over a period of a day and a half, and it still wouldn't die. Finally, they were able to attack it and, uh, and get it down. And as it died, it screamed, it cried like a human being to weep and this kind of you know made them a little bit freaked out you might say it sounded so strange you know so hard to kill and that is that is what happened they never saw another one but the area is um, actually has a lot of stories of strange animals so there were a lot of these old kinds of animals that there weren't a lot of them but they'd see them once in a while The Shunka Warakin is said to resemble a cross between a wolf and a hyena. According to cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, the Shunka Warakin is a Lawe term meaning carries off dogs. Coleman suggested that the creature was some animal unknown to modern sources. Now, you would think the legend would end here, but you'd be wrong. In 1896, a man named Israel Amon Hutchins shot and killed a creature resembling this mysterious beast on what is now the Sun Ranch in Montana. It has been suggested by Coleman, among others, to be an example of the Shunkawarakin. Joseph Sherwood, a taxidermist, acquired it from Hutchins, mounted it, and put it on display in his combination general store and museum in Henry's Lake, Idaho. Sherwood named the beast Ringadolkus. This stuffed trophy the only piece of physical evidence was never examined by a qualified scientist and went missing for some time before it was rediscovered in December of 2007. Well, I knew about the, the Gaius Cutis when I was a little kid because it was a matter that was always discussed by the family. And the story was told, you know, that my grandfather had killed it and it was in the Sherwood Museum. And his name was Israel Ammon Hutchins. The creature was around there. You know, several people in the area had seen it. I, I think it had attacked some cattle. It had a unique um, call, I guess you would call it. it didn't, they knew it wasn't a wolf. They knew it wasn't a coyote. It didn't sound like a lion. It, it, was, it was a screech on its own. It was pretty spooky sort of a sound. The, uh, the hindquarters looked more like a hyena. The head is more a hyena. And the hair is quite coarse. It's not like wolf hair. Now, I don't think it's a species uh, by itself. I think maybe it, it may be a hybrid or it may be just a mutation. DNA test would, would answer a lot of questions and it should be, should be done. It needed to be eliminated in order to protect the, the family. And the first time he shot at it, he shot a little high and 
He killed his milk cow on the other side of the of the brush that he hadn't seen. They had small children. It was a pretty big deal to be out of a milk cow. They, they, had cha they also had chickens they were trying to protect, but they weren't nearly as important as the cow. I imagine they ate the cow after it was killed. But <laughs> Shortly thereafter, early in the morning, they heard it out there, and he opened the door just a crack and got a good shot at it and brought the, the thing down. Sherwood probably heard about it and came over. And they made the deal. He brought him a milk cow and he can, he can have this uh, thing to mount. Sherwood mounted it and did a good job. And uh, that way it, it, it's left for posterity to see. The museum itself was in an old building and, and the family, the Sherwood family had grown old and gone on to more generations that had no interest in it and were not living in the area. So they eventually, it was all closed down and ultimately disappeared somewhere. There was an article in the Bozeman Chronicle in the a Halloween edition, more or less, that brought it up and had a picture of it and discussed the fact that it was at where it was. So I made a phone call and got a hold of the, uh, the curator, actually, I guess he was, and he said, yes, they had it down there. And uh, he said that, I don't know when we can bring it up there. And I said, can I come and get it? He said, come ahead. So we drove down the next day and, and uh, they went in, got it out of a storage shed, and brought it out, and yep, that was it. It was just exactly in the case in the shape that I'd remembered it. The two previous clips were pulled from YouTube user Ring Dokus, the legend of the Shunka Warakin. Now, do I think what Kevin saw was the Shunka Warakin? No. Even if the creature was a real flesh and blood animal, Montana is a good distance from Vermont, but it did lend the opportunity to discuss an awesome story. Interesting enough, I received a second submission this week detailing an encounter eerily similar to Kevin's, this one taking place in the deserts of the Southwest. Here is Carrie's submission. I should add that Carrie is a man, his name is spelled C-A-R-Y. Let me take a second here to say something. I am a big skeptic. I don't believe in the supernatural or cryptozoology. I am also an Eagle Scout with a bachelor's degree in animal science, so I know a good bit about wildlife and things like that. With that said, here is what happened. I was driving down the interstate last night. It was sparsely populated and I was often the only vehicle I could see on my stretch of road. I was in a hurry, but I really, really had to pee. So I turned my hazards on and pulled off to the side of the road, far enough away where no one could hit me if they swerved far into the shoulder. So I take my flashlight and I run a bit out because I didn't want anyone to see me. And as I'm peeing, I hear this weird noise. It sounded like it was a bit further ahead of me, but not close enough that I could see it in the dark. It sounded like an animal, but not a normal animal. I really don't know how to explain this, but it sounded like something was trying to impersonate an animal. 
It sounded like a call that would come from a coyote or maybe even a large cat. But it didn't... How do I put this? It didn't vary very much. I would hear a low growl and then a few seconds would pass and I would hear a low growl again. But the growling sounded the same each time. Like someone recorded an animal on a low-budget tape recorder and was playing it on a loop. So I kind of got excited because I'm from the other side of the country and I thought it would be a good chance to see some local fauna in person, but from a safe distance. I zipped up my pants and pulled out my flashlight and turned it on. And this is where things started to freak me out. Far in the distance, I saw a pair of eyes reflecting back at me. It was close enough for me to see the reflection, but far enough where I couldn't really make out the body except for a vague silhouette. The eyes were up way too high, though. Like, I don't think an animal out there could stand that high unless it was on a rock, but the terrain seemed fairly flat. Then I noticed something else. The outline of whatever it was was really odd. It looked like it was standing on all fours, but in a weird way. Like, its front legs seemed like they were kinked unnaturally, which made whatever it was appear to be lower in the front. And I'm not totally sure, but from the outline, this thing didn't look like it had hair. Or if it did, it didn't have very much. Also, the eyes looked a good deal far away from the rest of its body, like it had a longish neck. So I stand there for a moment, and while I have the light on, it's silent. Then I start hearing a repetitive low growl, and the eyes start slightly bobbing like whatever I saw was moving. I realized that it was headed towards me. I wanted to keep the light on it longer to see if I could shine a bit more light on it to see what it was, but I suddenly started to feel really uneasy, like my fight-or-flight sense was turned up to 11. And it might have been because I was so far away, but I could still hear the growl and I could hear the footsteps. But like I said, it was probably too far away. Anyway, I didn't want to run, but I started backing away with my light still on it. Suddenly, I didn't want to see what it was, but I also didn't want to turn my back to it. After backing away at a brisk speed, I eventually turned around and quickly jogged back to my truck, threw it in gear, and took off. I could still hear the growling until I got to my vehicle. Thanks for your time. I hope to hear back from you. Sincerely, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. When I first read your email, an old memory came to mind. When I was a kid, I had a cassette tape of a predator call. Basically, it was a recording of a wounded animal that would attract any predator in the area. We took it outside and played it as loud as we could, but nothing ever showed up. The sound Carrie described reminded me of that tape. It was repetitive, the sound was degraded, and slightly scratchy. Then he described the creature on all fours with funny front legs and higher back haunches. Then it hit me. Perhaps what he saw was a man in the middle of nowhere with a predator call hoping to spot a coyote or a fox. But that seems too easy. As Kerry mentioned, he has a degree in animal science and he had a flashlight with him. Surely, if it were just a person, he would have determined that right away. So, what did he see? A deformed animal? A dogman? A skinwalker? Or just a human trying to hide from the light? Whatever it was, I imagine it was quite terrifying to come across it in such a vulnerable situation. 
Thank you again, Carrie. Let's switch gears a bit here. Our next caller, Ryan, details his otherworldly experience with a common toy. Hi, Derek. My name is Ryan. I'm from Long Island, New York. And I just recently started listening to your podcast. I think it's great. And I figured I'd share my story. This was about the time I was maybe 10, 12 years old. And my best friend at the time, he just recently moved into a new house. So we went there. We were checking it out. Parents were downstairs doing whatever. So me and him were going around exploring the house. We go upstairs all the way into the attic slash bedroom, I guess, which later turned out to be his bedroom. So we're looking around, we're exploring everything, and we find this crawl space. Now, it's not hidden, but it's also not obvious that it's there. So being the bright kids we are, we decide to go in and check it out. So we grab a little flashlight, we go in, and we start looking around. Now, it's not a tiny crawl space, so we could both fit in single file. So we look in, it's completely empty, but we find this weird, like, almost cloth bag. So we pull it out, we open it up, and just immediately after that, get this kind of uneasy feeling. Just, I don't know how to explain it, it just felt like something was off, something was wrong. So we open it up, and there's this really old children's book. I, I can't even tell you how old it was. But it was really creepy. Just, it looked like one of those old document papers, like the paper was worn, like almost waterlogged or whatever. It just, it really creeped us out. Okay, we start flipping through the pages and everything. And it just, we get this very strong feeling again, just like of unease. All right, it really started to freak us out. So we threw it back in the bag, threw it back in the crawl space, ran downstairs, and we really didn't stay in there anymore. So about... Maybe a month or two afterwards, my friend finally moves into the house. So we're hanging out in there, and his birthday came up. He got one of these like interactive R2-D2 things. The new Star Wars movie just came out, so they started releasing all these new toys. So he got one for his birthday, and we were just pumped to use it. So we're using it all over. We're using it all over the house. It would like roam around. It would make weird noises. It was cool. So we decided to use it in his room. And it had this one mode. It was motion mode. You put it on, it senses motion in the room. If you start walking around, it'll lock onto you and almost like follow you, which was cool. You'd walk straight, it would follow you, you turn around, it would go with you. So we do that, we're hanging out for that for a little bit. We turn it off and we're just kind of chilling out. All of a sudden it starts turning on again and the motion game is on. So it starts looking around, seeing what's going on, and it almost locks on to something on the other side of the room. So it starts moving over there on its own. Mind you, me and my friend are just sitting on his couch watching TV right now. So it starts moving around. It's following this weird pattern. It's going forward, it's going left, it's zigzagging, and it's moving just like if it was following one of us. All of a sudden, it starts moving, and it stops right at that crawl space. The head of the R2-D2 turned at the crawl space, And it started making this weird, almost screaming sound, like almost a mechanical scream, and then just shuts off. Me and my friend look at each other, and we just bolt down the stairs. Like, we were freaked out. After that, we went over, we went back upstairs, finally mustered up the courage to get back up there, and we find the R2, like, on the other side of the room, away from the crawl space, 
just kind of sitting there. We didn't touch it. As soon as we saw that happen, we ran downstairs. So to this day, I have no idea how it got there. I mean, his parents weren't home. It was just me and him. So nobody could have moved it. So that really freaked me out even more. So time goes by. We kind of stopped playing with that thing because it just gave us the creeps after that. So one day, we're again sitting in his room, and we decide to play with it again. You know, for old time's sake, got get over our fears, whatever. So we break it out. We're doing the same thing. We're just kind of playing with it. And again, it just starts following this weird path. Just, it's on motion mode. It's not following either of us. And it's just walking around the room. I don't know how it's doing this. Because if you leave it alone on motion mode and it doesn't sense any motion, it's going to just stand there or make noises or turn off. I don't remember what it did. But it didn't just walk around. But it was following something. Like, it kept looking around. It would turn its head, follow it, turn its head, follow it. And again, we started getting this really creepy, uneasy feeling. And then the same thing happens again. It goes to the crawl space, looks at it, and just starts making that strange noise. And the noise wasn't any of the settings on there. It wasn't any of the movie R2-D2 sounds. It was just a weird, strange, like, mechanical scream. The only thing I can really compare it to is that scene in The Matrix when Neo takes the pill and it starts making those computer noises, if you know what I mean. It was not exactly like that, but kind of. So again, we freak out. We turn off. We, we turn the thing off and we just get the hell out of there. And after that, we never really touched the damn thing, or at least I didn't. So time goes on. We're still hanging out. And, and after a while, my friend started getting into all these weird stuff. Like he would play with the Ouija board a lot. He started doing like spells and witchcraft stuff. He got into all that weird stuff. And it just really freaked me out. I, you know, I don't know if he just always liked that or after that experience, he just started doing stuff like that. But that was always, that always freaked me out. And after those experiences, I never wanted to stay at his house again. So yeah, that's my story. Again, I really enjoy the podcast and just keep up all the great work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Ryan. Perhaps the ghost is a Star Wars fan. A few things I'd like to point out is that toys often malfunction when the batteries are dying. This can and does include strange sounds. In addition, the motion detection on those things was not that complex, so it's entirely possible that there was dust in the sensor or even a spider's web. That said, it seems there are a lot of coincidences taking place throughout your encounters. I wonder what the history of the building is. If we discover there was a child's death that occurred in the building, that may change the way we look at R2-D2's strange behavior. Thanks again for calling in. To close out this episode, let's revisit the local monster segment. Tonight, we explore the White River Monster of the White River near Newport, Arkansas. The beast is said to be huge and once even overturned a boat. The following segment from Animal Planet's Lost Tapes featuring cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman and Bill Rebsiman. Lost Tapes, White River Monster. Far more than just a regional legend, 
Some even claim the White River monster might have affected the Civil War. At that time, the White River was a major transportation route, and according to local lore, the monster was believed to be responsible for overturning a Confederate munitions boat. In July of 1971, uh, you had... Uh, the Richardson Odie report. They described this creature coming up underneath their boat and then feeling like this creature was out to attack them. It lifted their boat out of the water, so apparently they were riding on the back of this creature the size of a, a railroad boxcar. White River Monster seems to show all of the characteristics of a more mammal-type creature with maybe some out-of-place alligators thrown in, too. Some of the sightings say that this animal had a rough-looking hide that appeared to be peeling. Dr. Roy Mackle wrote extensively about the White River Monster and concluded that probably a rogue male elephant seal had come up from the Gulf of Mexico and had made its way up to the town of Newport in the bend in the White River. You probably don't want to be in close contact with a bull elephant seal capable of lifting two men in a boat out of the water. Alligators, of course, we know do cause fatalities, and they do have a lot of characteristics we see in the White River Monster. There have been similar reports of crocodilians after civil wars, where there, lots of bodies get dumped into rivers, that these animals become more accustomed to eating human remains, and supposedly this is correlated with an increase in the number of attacks. People are much better off not knowing what things are swimming around in the rivers and lakes. And that'll do it for this episode. But before I take off, I want to thank a few more generous people that have recently donated. Alana D., Dana M. and Haley D. Thank you all for your support. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. A nice rate and review would also be nice. If you have a story to share, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website for more details. That address is monstersamonguspodcast.com. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.